Ready? Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, I don't know if any of this. All right. Those little taps. This is Ohio WrestleCast number eight, I believe. I didn't do the number on the last one, bud, because I, I, I don't want to seem undedicated to our product, but I did not look back at how many... No episodes I, we did. Unfortunately, so. <laughs> it's burned in my mind from so all the last work one involved. would have been seven. This is eight. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, and, we uh, we, we got to start looking ahead, and we got to make ten a good one. Yeah. Not that eight, and then whatever nine is going to be isn't a good one. We think they're all good ones. But. Yeah, but ten's a double digit. It's kind of it's the most significant thing for I, us now. Uh, I think so. We might have to have a bonus episode, bonus guests, extra long episode, maybe for ten. Yeah. We'll start planning after we're done here. There we go. Every ten, we'll make it big, big. Time. I like that. I think that's a good idea. Nice. And then what? Well, if we do that, then we're gonna have to do something real big for like the one year anniversary. We, well, one year anniversary, year anniversary. If we get the fifty, this we gotta we'll plan. We'll and plan. Then, and then we gotta go full Simpsons for the hundredth episode. <laughs> you know every I mean? special guest, every topic revisited. But you know what? That that's gonna dismiss how good number eight is gonna be right now. I I, I don't. I think this one is uh gonna be our most interesting one yet. Yeah. Maybe this might be an underrated episode in the might, future. Maybe an underrated episode. Uh, well, I hope so, man, because I've really enjoyed doing this. We started around WrestleMania season, so we got to talk a lot about the current product and and you it's know kind of kind of dive deep into what WrestleMania meant to us, things like that. And then you know we got to revisit you know what we really grew up on, which was the, the Monday Night Wars, but it was still like the big three even because we had WWF and WCW and ECW, and we visited our favorites and we visited tag teams we did underrated overrated and our last episode which if you guys made it through the whole thing thank you so much yeah this is the longest episode to date we talked about underrated and overrated matches we talked about the individual matches and what it meant but uh for today's episode and and thank you for uh giving me the platform to do so um I, if, I, I didn't know if I wanted to do this because I didn't want it to ever be any sort of ego trip about myself. I don't think like my career is anything that is this you know incredible story. But after talking to some friends, uh, including my big Dan Candry out there, thank you for listening and subscribing, and thank yes, you sir. for everybody for listening and subscribing. But talking to some friends out there that you know they listen to this podcast because they want to support us and they you know. We're, just support what we're doing and they're not necessarily big time wrestling fans but you know they sit through our podcast like hey no i've went back and watched some of those matches or watched some of those guys you were talking about and like man some good stuff so for a lot of the folks out there that aren't super duper wrestling nerds that are maybe getting their feet wet with wrestling i thought it'd be a cool time to just tell my story and kind of tell you know, my story personally and what wrestling means to me, but it's going to come with a ton of independent wrestling stories. There's there's so much that goes beneath the surface of what you see on TV, and, and I'm not going to share every secret imaginable today. But but I, I thought it might be kind of fun to, to take the time and talk about what I've been through, what I knew about the wrestling business, and you know, just kind of share my story with everybody today. And, and hopefully other people are interested and download and listen. No, I, I think that's a fucking great idea. Let's, let's so do get you, started. Do you want to be my handsome moderator? And you I kind will. of, uh, let, let's, lead us, let's lead everybody down memory lane. I will be the James Lipton to your... James, oh man. To your Who doesn't love some everyone. James Lipton? Is he still alive? That's a good. That's a great that's, question. Is, I don't it, know. If he was dead, it wouldn't be surprising. But it, I didn't hear about it. Oh, I'll, James Lipton. Well, if he's not dead, the actor studio, and you're for some reason listening, James Lipton, you need to do an inside the actor studio with yourself we, before we you die. Would, well, we'll host James Lipton on our show. There, there it is. Open and invitation we'll to what, James Lipton. We'll see what wrestling means to James Ohio Lipton. WrestleCast. That'll be a hell of a one. Fuck. Maybe you should save your story for that. <laughs> if James Lipton is involved You'll that tell story, the story again That will get much more elaborate and detailed It'll yeah. be the director's cut Yeah The, the Dickie Willis cut the Dickie, Well we can start with Dickie Willis There's a Dickie Willis cut As part well, of this story Well there's no better place to start sir Than the beginning So so tell me tell me how What got you into wrestling I guess we'll go way back Way 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 back man I will give you my earliest memory Now what I was told was that my uncle Ralph That's not his real name I always just called him uncle Ralph My uncle Jeff Was a big wrestling fan Got me into it in the You know mid to late 80s 
Uh, and my dad never really cared for it himself. He always would say, like, you know, your Uncle Ralph got you into wrestling. My first wrestling memory, though, was uh, we mentioned on the WrestleMania episode. I was uh, maybe four years old in Massachusetts, and I remember going to my parents' friend's house. Back in the day, if you wanted to order a pay-per-view, just much like, you know, when we were growing up, still made more sense for one person to order it and everybody throwing some money. So I remember yeah. and back then... Excuse me. WrestleMania was 1988. Uh, so that was SummerSlam 88 came around. So even at that point, it was only one wrestling pay-per-view a year. It was a big deal. Wow. Um, so I remember WrestleMania 4 being over at my parents' friend's house is one of those, like, let's all go over there. And somehow I was late to stay up late on a Sunday night. And I watched the Macho Man drop the elbow on the Million Dollar Man and uh. win the title in the tournament final at WrestleMania 4. And... My memories are kind of vague in and out. Like I, uh, you know, always remember watching like Sunday morning TV, watching superstars and stuff like that. Uh, Primetime wrestling was on Monday nights, but I wasn't allowed to stay up and watch it. Like I knew that was like where some of the better matches were, yeah, even at issue. that time. Yeah, 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 I wasn't allowed to stay up and watch it. Like I always missed the last like hour of Raw growing up. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You could maybe watch uh, the eight o'clock hour. I had a good. I'd bed have at to nine. hear about it from all my friends. Who uh, could. Yeah. Had cooler parents than we the did. The next day. Yeah. yeah right. Uh, but you know what's funny, man, is is a lot of my my wrestling memories come from the move from Massachusetts to Pennsylvania, where I grew up, and I re- it was the summer before my kindergarten year, 1989. The, what, what? Who else remembers shit when you're five years old? But I remember this sort of thing vividly. And my parents got me this. It was basically a wrestling encyclopedia, and I swear to you, I would pay top dollar if I could ever find this thing again. And I had and I had this for forever. I remember, I mean, being yay thick right mm-hmm. and lots of big full color photos and it was like a red like hard binder and th- at that point i had only ever known wwf right yeah 1989 now as we know going back you know nwa was really big then too rick flair and sting and dusty Rhodes and lex luger and the legion of doom these are all guys that were never on wftv at this point right yeah so but i remember i know knowing who all these guys were without ever seeing a wcw show because i had this big red encyclopedia that i got from my move from massachusetts to pennsylvania it was like a eight to nine hour drive in a moving van and i remember looking through it right and I would, first was looking through just for the guys I knew because they had big color photos of Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man and Jake the Snake. But like then they had like Jake the Snake against guys that I never heard of because they showed some of his stuff in World Class and in Mid South. Um, it had like it showed like all the territory. It so showed all the territory. So you and it was just really the realization that there was more wrestling out there. Yeah. Than what I had known. You you had the small section of it. I had, and then you know now actually the you, biggest section of it. I think at the at time. that point it was the biggest but section because that was after Vince had whole... started buying out the territories and really it was just NWA like Jim Crocker Promotions left because yeah. even then like those were if you seen pro wrestling that wasn't WWF you were seeing Ric Flair. Sting, Lex Luger, right? Like the, yeah. you know, so those names are probably kind of ingrained in my brain. But I was looking, you know, for all the people that I knew, and I seen like Jake the Snake wrestling other people. I seen like Ravishing Rick Rude and his like previous territories, like wrestling other people. And I'm like, well, who are these guys? And you know, you would see pictures of like Lex Luger. You're like, oh, so you read more into Lex Luger. You see that he was part of the Four Horsemen, but now he's feuding with Ric Flair. And you know, you're like, oh, like okay, that's kind of cool. And so I had all these pictures, these big color pictures of wrestlers that I never really heard of, but like they were somebody to me because they're in this giant wrestling encyclopedia. Yeah. Later on, WCW starts becoming more available. When you got cable, you could watch WCW Saturday Night. So you started recognizing who WCW was. Started realizing, like, you know, the Steiner brothers were a team that came from there to the WWF. Like, you yeah. knew that they were with the other guys. When Ric Flair came in, they made a big deal about him the world champion. And you're like, oh, I know who Ric Flair is. And him coming to WWF felt like a deal. So those are my main memories growing up. And then, of course, we all grew up then through the, the Monday Night Wars when WCW... Got big, and I uh, I don't know about you, but on cable, was it 40 and 41 out here, USA and TNT? I, I had satellite because of where I lived. Yeah, satellite because so you were like, the hills They were in port. four digits on that. Ah, gotcha. You had to earn it. On cable, yeah. uh, I remember it was like Channel 40 was USA and Channel 41 was TNT, so it was just 
up and down, man. Like when we yeah. went to a commercial. Well, you always had that last button too. If you did it just right, you, you do can, the last button. Yeah, but 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 that's always a tiny button in the middle of the remote. The up and down, everybody knows where it is. Yeah, boop boop boop. It's yeah, it's, and it it's starts ingrained get, in your brain. Starts by to that get age. dark, and you 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 know you don't have uh, the light available to find that last button. Up and down. So when something would suck, you could change, or if the commercial break, you would always change the channel. Grew up through the Monday Night Wars, uh, but me and Josh, man, we were always wrestling down in the basement. We 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 would do full shows. It wasn't just like a, uh, all right, I'll be Stone Cold and you be the Rock. Like no, like we <laughs> yeah. went, we wrote out our own Monday Night Rolls and like with the openers, and we had our own made up characters for ourselves, and like we were part of the storylines and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we did we did all me and of Nathan that. Metz did the same thing in the living room, and then it, it went into the front yard, and then we all got together, started doing it again in the backyard. Then, then, you, then you got a trampoline involved, but, and it got legit. Yeah, and but it started the same way. Like we did start out as being like the Rock. Stone not Cold. legit. That was with quotes. It wasn't. We, nothing's legit. <laughs> it was legit yeah, to us. Yeah, Trampoline felt like a, a ring. Yeah. But uh, like we were, we were writing basically fan fiction uh-huh. for for WWE, and then we moved on. It was like, well, we should start our own characters and stuff, and that's how it, you <laughs> right. know, AHW was born. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. Well, and so the thing was, man, is that I, I grew up on Pennsylvania. I had some friends that liked wrestling, and it's you know the beginning of the Attitude Era, so so it's hot. It's popular. But I get out here to Canton South. I came out my junior year in 2000. And um, I remember hearing, you know, I didn't know anybody out here really, man. Like, I didn't have a lot of friends, like, getting started, new kid in school junior year. Mm. But I heard a couple of guys, like, talking about their wrestling show. Like, they were booking it, like, having a straight booking meeting, like, in a study hall. And they're talking about the wrestling show. And they're like, you know, like, oh, well, da, 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 should win because blah, 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 blah. And, like, and they're talking about the storylines. And I overheard it. And I just couldn't help myself talking to guys i didn't know which uh jake young jason mogus hopefully you guys check us out and listen how you guys doing what's up fellas so they're talking about the wrestling show and i'm like oh man what are you guys doing you guys doing a wrestling show and they're like yeah and i'm like well i want to be part of it and they're like no nah, you know you don't know how to wrestle <laughs> <laughs> we're you know 16 year old kids in high school yeah. and i'm like well no never wrestled before but like I like wrestling. I think I could be pretty good. And they're like, all right, you can come down. And it was at Al's Gymnastics, which we can talk about now because that will never be open back up. He had uh, hidden video cameras in his bathroom. Oh, yeah. yeah, look down, up, down look up Al's Gymnastics. Al's Gymnastics in East Canton. Yeah. When, you'll, yeah. You'll see a whole story about we're, we're, it. We're, we're going to get to the independent stories that are going to take some time. So, yeah, I won't tell the Al's Gymnastics stories. But we just Google Al's Gymnastics. Yeah. So they, they had the wrestling shows at this gymnastics center. They had like the – the big tumbling mats with a little bit of a spring was like the main ring. But of course we went all around to the uneven bars and the pummel horses and jumped off of shit. Yeah. And they had, they, uh, we stole like street signs, like the open Sunday, uh, like real estate, like auction signs. We'd steal those because they made loud noises. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And they didn't hurt too bad. They didn't hurt too bad. We had cookie sheets. We had all that sort of stuff. Oh, cookie sheets were the best. Cookie the aluminum ones. The they were shiny. They looked we, legit, but they bent. So we easy. had, they we had, sounded there was, great. there was drywall tables. Well, that was the oh, XWO, the extreme wrestling organization. And they, they let me come by to, basically lose like the, you know it was a job guy and this our backyard yeah. fed but like i don't know like i did this thing where i could do like a like a back rolling somersault where i kind of handspring like to my feet like really fast and i turned around and did like a clothesline wow. and it was like the coolest thing they ever saw in, cool. in their life <laughs> and like so you could actually wrestle i'm like i don't know i guess so so uh my first match in the xwo i won the cruiserweight title from the bad boy brian Roshenball. Oh, hey how shit. are you if you're out there and uh, I think they, I didn't realize how much of a wrestling fan I was until I was hanging out with these guys that were wrestling fans. But I was just into it just deeper than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So long story short, you know, we had our XWO shows and we had a lot of fun. I came to your HW shows at the trampolines, man. Oh, shit. We, the, had, we, we had, did the invasion before we WWE were, we ever were, did. We were the XWO invasion. XWO invaded the HW. We sure did. And we had a lot of fun doing that. But... uh the guy that got me involved, and here we're finally getting to where the story starts. The guy that got me involved was Andrew Wiley, who is Evan Wiley, oh, wow. previous Evan special guest, brother, uh, his older brother. Well, we he did the XWO two, and like me and the Andrew, like we like we, like we laid out a match like really really seriously for a show we did where we actually charged admission. We had like two hundred people show up for like oh, three wow. bucks a ticket. How much you guys make? 
Oh, 600 bucks. We had to pay for a broken nice. mirror that goddamn John Pachuda broke. <laughs> we, had to, oh. we had to pay for a mirror, so we ran a page, uh, uh, a ticketed show. That's a good thing you charged for the, mu- or yeah, the show. Exactly. Then. So me and Andrew Wiley like, had the first match because like, even then, like everybody knew, like, oh, well, that'd be a really good like match. You guys know what you're doing. We didn't know what we were doing. Oh, we I just can... also watched Tough Enough and like kind of took it seriously. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Cause well, we... I can remember back before the internet was a big thing, I, I would watch wrestling over at like matt bailey's house and andrew mm-hmm. would be there and he would know what was gonna happen before anything happened yeah, you, i mean that's the thing the internet was kind of so he he was he was started, that deep into it but but yeah like really before like, the internet once you started like getting into wrestling you just started to appreciate what they were actually doing and why they were doing it even though even if we weren't smart to it yeah you had that appreciation and andrew was older than all of us you know he was evan's older brother so he had that sort of appreciation mm. so Coming out of high school, I graduated high school in 2002, um, Andrew had gotten a hold of me, and he had found a wrestling school. And at this point, like, we're starting to get sort of smart to the business. You know that wrestling schools is where you go to train. Yeah. But, like, and you heard it on TV, like, Killer Kowalski's wrestling school, but it's in Massachusetts, or Shawn Michaels training in Texas, or in well, Calgary. Like, Al, Al Snow has one in Lima, doesn't he? Al Snow has one in or Lima, but, but here's the thing is that... You didn't. You knew about these ones that they told you on TV, and, they, and everything seemed kind of out of reach. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, well, like, okay, I want to be a professional wrestler, but I don't have the means to go to Calgary to train at the fucking dungeon. Yeah. And like, and again, now the internet was was around, but it wasn't like he threw in a Yahoo or a Google search of wrestling schools near me. What's going to come up in 2002? You know what I mean? Not like it, much. Right. Nowadays, there'll be Reddit threads and things like that or something that people will tell you where a wrestling school is within 10 miles of you. Now you listen to a wrestling podcast or a video on YouTube, there'll they'll be ads in between. Sure. For- yeah. And, and and that's the thing is even though the internet existed, it wasn't a Google search away of how you find a wrestling school. And uh, to this day, I don't know how Andrew found this. But he found a wrestling school that was in Stark County. It was in Maslin. We're in Canton. It's, you know, for me, from about here in the sticks, it was like a 20-minute drive. Really close. Yeah, Yeah. not far at all. Your dreams were in your backyard, basically. So Andrew found Shasta. Kevin Ballou Shasta was was the trainer. He said there was a wrestling school. And, you know, at this point, again, you don't know how reputable somebody is or isn't. If somebody has a wrestling ring... It was the coolest fucking thing that ever existed. I you bet. know what I mean? In two thousand two and everything we're doing to touch the ropes and touch the canvas was just the it was the coolest thing. And so you didn't know like you kinda knew what independent wrestling was. You always see those multicolor flyers on the telephone poles with like the pink, the yellow, and the green. Yeah. And it's usually like Jerry Lawler versus Doink, like probably even today. <laughs> <laughs> versus Doink. Right, uh, uh, ECW legend that you might not have ever heard of, but like one so you, of like three or four. Right, or so you you know the independent wrestling's there, but like you didn't really know the extent of it. Yeah. Even in two thousand and two, there it's WWF was kind of taking over everything. You just you, you didn't know like you know ECW was gone. Um, it was kind of a downtime for wrestling. In right, it, it, it had to take a minute to pick back up. Ring of Honor and TNA were just getting started. So, like, really all there was to the common man was WWF. So, you know, we meet this trainer. We're in this, um, it's like the back of a pool hall in this, like, warehouse. It was actually a cage where some dude sold, like, just small hardware parts. And the other half of us was was the wrestling ring. And uh, that's where practice was. We trained from, like, 6 to 8 o'clock, three or four times a week. You know, and you started learning how to bump. And, like, it was one of those things, and I'm not sitting here trying to brag or be stupid about it, but, like, when they touch you how to bump again, like, I seriously, like, watched Tough Enough, but, like, paid attention. Yeah. So, like, I kind of knew what you should do, and I knew how to flip. And I was 18 years old coming out of high school. I was in pretty good shape and everything. So, like, and, you know, I wrestled in high school. So the drills and the training and the cardio, we had a you know we do a uh, hundred squats before we get started. We would run the ropes like back and forth for five minutes, crisscross with guys, drop down, get up, you know I, stuff I like that. I hear those ropes are a lot harsher. Um, than, yeah, than most it seems. most ropes There's in independent rings is just metal cables wound as tight as you can, so when you hit them, you bounce. But they cover them in garden hose, so the you know so I mean you're not hitting the cables direct, but it's just metal it's like running into metal and and every single person that's ever trained when you first get started because you run the rope so much you know because you gotta learn how to do it so you're gonna do it from five ten minutes at a time at least yeah 
Everybody will have a bruise right here under your armpit and right here uh, at the top of your ass because oh, that's where you hit the ropes, ropes every time and you, you're going to have them just like if anybody ever played football like the first week of practice, you have bruises everywhere because your body isn't used to banging you know, around and getting beat up like that, but it gets used to it. Yeah. And the bumps, I mean, you, you, everybody who had a legitimate wrestling training the first day, you're going to come home and you can't move. Man. Oh, like, you were just stiff to the core once you start hitting the ropes. You're going to be sore, 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 but your body adapts to it, and you get used to it. What about that first bump you took? What about that first real The first bump? real bump? Not bad. Really? I was told what to do, which I'm not going to share everything on this podcast, but I was told how to properly take the bump Yeah. to protect yourself, protect yourself from the ring. Uh, felt pretty good. Now, I've taken my, when I remember taking my first bad bump, the way that you're not supposed to take it and the way that... The, the impact doesn't absorb you perfectly. I remember that. I remember the first bad flip that, yeah, and I still, to this day, Mark, the f- only hospital visit I ever had from wrestling, okay? Okay. Was from a regular hip toss in the ring, okay? I over rotated, went out a little too far, got towards the corner of the ring where the, imp- where the uh, give isn't, you don't get as much give. Yeah. And I just laid a little sideways and I landed. Right on the left side of my tailbone, right where my tailbone meets my ass, right? Ooh. And I got a good rotation, and it was an over-rotation. And I mean, pretty certain it was just it was a bruised tailbone. If you've ever had that happen, you... If walking's not that bad, but sitting down and standing up no. is the absolute worst moments of your life. I bruised my tailbone. It's uh, you can't any movement hurts. I tried to get back to work. I couldn't do it. I told him I couldn't go in. They said you got to go visit somebody. So I went to the hospital. Uh, told him that I fell on some ice because it was shitty weather outside. <laughs> so you know, because I I don't know how insurance would handle. That happens. How, how'd you bruise your tailbone? Well, a dude threw me across the wrestling ring. No, yeah. so, that's, so I fell on some ice. Yeah, it, and uh, <laughs> it doesn't cover that, buddy. And uh, got my pain meds, and that's what it was, just brew tailbone. Need some pain medication, some muscle relaxers, and and stay off it for a couple of days. My only visit ever was from just a bad normal bump. And I've been slammed through and on ladders and chairs and tables and uh, the whole nine. I've done it all. Only hospital visit, hip toss. That's crazy. So one bump can... uh, yeah, one bump can change you. Well, that's good. That's a good thing, I think. But so we, we were going through the training, and again, I didn't know how deep like independent wrestling like really ran. So Shasta was a guy who he had his training school. He trained us all, and, and he was running his own shows. And he had shows. Um, he would do whether, you know, the house shows that we call in the Indies is where you go to your high schools or your armories, and you – Advertise a little bit for you. Try to get a couple hundred people in there, but he ran biweekly shows at BB McLean's, which is now the Diamond Royale, uh, <laughs> out there in Belton Village. It's a strip club nowadays, yeah. but before it was just a nightclub. And we would wrestle right. We'd set up the ring right in the middle of the dance floor. Uh, the upstairs was our locker room, which is now where you get your private dance. Oh, so you know. Too bad it wasn't like that then. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Combined, <laughs> be a hell of we could have some, we could have some good storylines, right? You would have got some fucking eyeballs on you. So he ran bi weekly there and there were these bar shows. I was eighteen years old and uh every when you ever hear about paying dues in the business, mm-hmm. right? I mean paying dues, man, like you gotta and to this day it's a pet peeve of mine is just people don't appreciate what you're a part of until you start paying the dues. And the thing is is if you're a good student, you're going to a good school like like I did you didn't even realize that it was like that it was paying dues, that it was uh, that it was you know, you can call it bitch work or whatever you want, but that you were putting in that grunt work and you were doing the shit that you need to do to get yourself into the business. So like, here's the thing: we used to run biweekly at BB McLean's uh, on Wednesdays, and I was working a job at Nichols Bakery, and my shift started at like seven o'clock in the morning. I would get out at about three thirty, right? So 3.30 on Wednesday, I'd get out. I'd go right to the school in Maslin. We had the ring was set up, you know, for practices and stuff. Mm. So it would be me. And all the students were supposed to do this, but it was one of those things where some people conveniently only worked Wednesday nights, you know, or couldn't be there for this and this reason because it sucked. We had to go into the school, tear down the ring bit by bit, load it up into a U-Haul, drive it to the show, 
take all the shit out of the U-Haul, put it together bit by bit, right? Make sure everything was good to go. And then we would run security for the show. You know, it's not much security, but basically, especially at bar shows, people could be drunk assholes. Really? You would run security for the show? We, Yeah, the students are secure. And almost most independent shows you go to, the students are the security. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you... You know, because, again, especially like bar shows, people can be drunk assholes, want to rush the ring or what have you. That's or good. sometimes security has to get involved and need to take a bump. Yeah, you know. Th- all that, right, no, that makes perfect sense. Like that, all the stuff you see on TV right, and shit. That, that was us, right? Uh, so we would do that. So we'd security for the show, do the whole show. The show would end. Tearing down that ring again, looting it back into that U-Haul. And then we had to take it back to the school where we would unload it back into the school to get the U-Haul back. So usually by the time all that was done, the show's done, tear the ring down, get back to the school, midnight, 1230, you know, in the morning. All right. So now you got to at least get the U-Haul back to the U-Haul store. Somebody's got to pick that guy up, take him home or take him to his car. Uh, wrestling fans, students, workers, we are 75% dirtbags. So most of these guys, these students and trainees, didn't have a car. I was one of the unlucky saps to have my 89 Grand Prix. Uh, uh, so I would be that guy following the guy that you all, taking him home and taking three other guys home all around the county. Maybe get home crawling into bed about four in the morning, right, to get to my shift again at Nichols at seven. And man. I did that. It was biweekly, man. We did that twice a month, uh, at least for the first nine, ten months. I was involved in the business. Damn, man. And those are just the Wednesday, Wednesday shows when we would do shows. Uh, you know, we had some spots set up in the Columbus area. Like on Saturdays, we'd have to go and do that. We'd have uh, shows set up in the new Philly Dover area. We'd do those shows as well. But those were just the, the bi-weekly normal schedule that you would do. And that, that was under MCW, uh, Main Event Championship Wrestling that Shasta ran. Damn. So we do all that, and I remember I got to make my debut. I started training uh, in the summer of 2012. I made my debut in February 2000, or 2012, 2002. Uh, 2003, I made my debut against Andrew Wiley. Oh, wow. He was training there. He was the one who got me into the school. I didn't realize he was doing that. Yeah, so he was. Uh, he had already been wrestling. I think he had gotten hurt and then took a little time off and was coming back under a new character. So... He and I were at the wrestling school. We practiced our match probably 50 times and wrestled at this bar in front of maybe 50 people, but 20 of them were probably like my friends and family because yeah. we're, we're geeked to come out. Uh, so we go and do our match. So he was Drew Dennison, which was a uh, kind of a sexy boy like uh, Drew, Dennison. Be- Drew Dennison, a beefcake character. But if you know Andrew, he weighed about 130 pounds soaking wet. Yeah, so that was kind of that was kind of the, the gimmick. It was pretty cool. I was. Wilbur Whitlock from day one, man, where wow. I uh, just... Dickie Willis never made it on the Dickie Willis never made the independent circuit. Oh, it was wow. Wilbur Whitlock because I wanted to wear my grandfather's legitimate Oshkosh like train engineer looking bibs. They were the coolest fucking oh. looking things. I wanted to wear them. And so they kind of developed the character around that. And Shasta came up with the name Wilbur Whitlock. And I... I did a half-assed southern accent like this. I was from Black River, Arkansas. I'm Wilbur Willock, and I kind of played a stupid hillbilly, like, for starters, you, you know? You a melee boy, kind of. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. I got experience being the melee boy, right? Yeah. So, Butch melee. So, you know, we kind of did that character going into it, and... uh I had the whole idea. I was like, pair me up with a girl that's like super hot. And like, everybody be like, why is this girl into Wilbur Whitlock? Who knows what he's got going on? And then it would turn out to be my cousin. Like, you uh, know, like just, just something to like get, make me look stupid because I was coming in as a heel. I like it. So me, like and, it. me and Drew did that match like 50 times. We rock and roll. We, uh, and there was me and Drew for most shows we did. Like, we did like a show exclusively at the school. We did a show out in the Columbus area, Mount. Gilead or Mount Vernon and something like that. And then we wrestled at the Canton Civic Center. Me oh, and Andrew shit. Wiley. But we had the dark match. It was only one dark match and like this the crowd was pretty much full anyway. So we got our moment in front of at least fifteen hundred fans at the Civic Center. Me Damn. and Andrew. Uh, Damn, that's and fairly early. Andrew too. still owes me because uh, he was kind of flaking at that moment, and I remember Shasta saying, "Like Andrew, if you're and, uh, Shasta's from Georgia, if I do some Shasta impressions along the way, th- th- this is going to be exactly what it sounds like." 
I said, well, goddamn, if you're going to stick around with us, I'll put you over, Jared. I'll put you over at the Civic Center. You're the experience. You're the pro. But if you're going to fucking leave, well, I might as well have Jared fucking beat you. All right, there <laughs> and it is. And so Andrew says, no, I want to stay. I want to stay. Well, he wrestled me, beat me, and Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was his last match. Uh, really? Yeah, uh, and again, this is an Andrew story, but like I mean, I know he met his current wife, you know, around uh, that time, okay. and just seemed to you know have other obligations that he was more into, and so, but I stuck around, and I, I never fucking left, and I'll still talk to Andrew just to mess with him, and be like, he probably could have been better than me if he would have stuck around, like I, and I always tell him like, you got one more match in you, you know, I always like messing around with Andrew, yeah. Um, but I stuck around, man, and I stuck around with MCW, and I did a couple more shows at the Canton Civic Center. Um, just, just awesome trips, man. Like, you know, that's the biggest building in our town, the biggest indoor building is the Civic Center. That's our arena. That's where the WWE goes yeah. to this day. And we ran some really cool shows there. Like we had, you know, Bret Hart was on the show. Uh, didn't wrestle. That was after his stroke. Just kind of did appearance. Uh, Mick Foley was a special guest referee for us. But we had. You know, Jeff Jarrett was there, D'Lo Brown, oh, nice. Al Snow wrestled uh, my buddy Jebediah in the main event. Um, Sweet. Yeah, like, we always bring in a few big names. Uh, the Dudley Boys were there one year. Like, we always bring in big names, and it ranged from probably like 2,000 to, you know, a little less than 1,000 uh, by the time, you know, it didn't become feasible to run it anymore. But doing the Civic Center shows was really, really cool. But the thing was is that, again, as I mentioned before, I didn't really know what all-encompassed independent wrestling. I was, like, in my own bubble, you know, with MCW because we were running bi-weekly shows. We would set up shows at our wrestling school where we would do. And then we had, like, some fairly big shows in, like, Alliance and Dover. And then we'd do those Civic Center shows a couple times a year. I was wrestling, you know least three sometimes like four times a month like like you know sometimes every weekend i thought that's what independent wrestling was well the thing is is a lot of people know now there's independent wrestling groups all over i mean just even in ohio there was a couple in cleveland at that moment there was some in columbus there was a group called ocw that was down at Coshocton, not too far from us um i did some stuff yeah. with a group called uwc in akron and i wasn't a big fan of working with that group at the time so I, I, I really did. I thought MCW was just like, that's independent wrestling. That's my company, just like we grew up on. W yeah. You were in the WWE or in WCW, right? Like, yeah, you didn't yeah. really do both. So, like, MCW was my company. So, while I was wrestling a lot, and I was wrestling, we had a lot of great wrestlers that came through there. Um, I mean, guys that were our guys that came through there were like uh, Nigel McGuinness, who's Desmond Desmond Wolf in TNA. And Nigel's on uh, uh -huh. NXT as the uh, as a commentator now. He's a former Ring of Honor World Champion. Okay, awesome, awesome wrestler. He kind of like came up with us, like yeah, like uh, one of our main guys. We had a lot of these uh, deathmatch guys. We had uh, Mister Insanity, Toby Klein, who's just an awesome worker. We had a guy, uh, a guy named Brain Damage, who was an incredible. Like, I mean, these guys were the top, like CZW, King of the Deathmatch guys. I've they were about him before. They were just our regulars, you know. And so we did. We had a really good group of wrestlers, and we were wrestling them basically every weekend. So I kind of thought that's what indie wrestling was. Well, the thing of it is, is that in reality, to get better and get bigger, you needed to travel. You need to travel and make towns, and and this is the same time that guys exposure. like exposure, guys like CM Punk and AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and Daniel Bryan, all the top, I mean, top guys all time. They're doing that at this point in time. Yeah. They're making towns, and I'm by no means saying I'm on their level as a wrestler. I'm, I, I'm not, no, but but, the but they were, you know, everybody starts somewhere, and those guys were the ones out get to every indie show and every territory and riding in cars and all that. And I just never really did that because we did. We wrestled most weekends with MCW and all of us guys kind of stayed in our bubble with our company to where we, we never even really thought about it, you know, yeah. making those towns. You guys were doing your thing. We were doing our thing. Yeah. Um, so that's a slight regret of mine looking back. And now, and the thing is too, is I could blame it all on that where I was just like, Oh, I didn't go to any of the shows because I only had my shows. 
you know, as I'm coming up, I started my first match was 18, but over the years, you know, I turned 21. You start getting your own place, start having girls kids. over. Still, well, no, uh, kids later, man. Yeah. But I'm saying at this point, you have girls over, you got your buddies, you're, you want to throw a party, and it get to the point where, like, Saturday night, there'd be a really kick-ass party, and I would almost consider, like, ah, I got to wrestle. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I never, you know, I don't like that feeling where I say I got to wrestle. No, I don't got to wrestle. I was lucky enough to find a school that trained me good enough to get myself booked. I don't got to wrestle. And the fact that if you're saying, oh, I got to wrestle, you're taking a spot from somebody else who probably wants to be on that show. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like I, I realized that then where it would be like, uh, you know, oh, I want to go and chase girls and drink all night. But like, yeah, I got to wrestle. And that, that was kind of shitty. And that's another regret that I have that I never really dedicated myself seriously at a time that I could have, that I had the means and the time. Nothing holding you back. Nothing holding so. me back. Right. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, later we mentioned kids, and, you know, I did. I had my son when I was 25. Uh, with MCW, we were – this is at this point we took over uh, an old um, Stephen Barry's in Alliance. It, it shut down. Stephen Barry's was starting to go out of business. Stephen so Barry's. we just took over this spot, that. and I can't remember how much it was. It was, like, maybe 300 bucks a month. It was insane, like, insanely cheap for the rent. Then we could take over this whole giant space. We made our own WrestlePlex, and we set up the school there. Wow. Started doing the same thing, doing bi-weekly shows on Saturday, but instead of having like 30, 40 fans, I mean, it was always at least 100. And on bigger shows, we'd have well over 200. Shit. But we started doing these these WrestlePlex shows, and we started expanding the roster a little bit, bringing new guys in from Michigan, um, you know, bringing in some names just for those shows. And uh, we're doing those bi-weekly, and, and just, you know, at that point, you know, I'd stop I don't want to say pay a dues, but like I wasn't set up the ring and stuff every night or anything like that. I'd actually come and help to the with the training school, help train new wrestlers. Mm. But like at that point, started really hitting my groove as a wrestler. Like I mean, started getting it. If they, you know what I mean, like there was a lot where you would, you'd have your match and you would do this, that, this, that, and this, and you would do it because you knew you got the reactions from the crowd. Like it made sense. But you didn't really know why. In about 2011, I really started getting into my groove where I was like becoming a good wrestler and understanding what I was doing. You, you got it. It was that started that thing it. that everybody was like, you, you could tell that he really he really understood the business. Like right. I was doing my Triple H impression. <laughs> he gets the business. He could, he could really understand this business. Like, yeah. Like, I, and, uh, and he did. And he started knowing what you would do to get a crowd reaction, but why you would do it and why they're going to react. Like it's, you know, it's a really intricate thing, putting together a wrestling match, mm. telling a story of the, you know, the story always is, is guy a wants to beat guy B. Right. But why are you telling why, you know, because that guy talks shit about his girlfriend <laughs> because that guy beat him up in the back or because that guy is the champion. I want to be the champion or me and this guy are, trying to be the next guy to be the champion or just because whoever's the best, there's always a story to tell of why guy Hayes is fighting guy B and you get to tell that story in the ring. If we're just two good wrestlers, but we're nice guys and we just want to be the champion, we're going to go out there and have a good competitive match. We're going to wrestle a little more. If you hit on my girlfriend in the back, I'm going to probably try to beat you up and you can tell so many different stories in the course of one show. Yeah. Uh, which it's just there's nothing else like that. You know what I mean? For for real, it, it's it is kind of like it's it's like any other visual art form, like a, like a script. There's all different kinds of scenes. You guys are um, a wrestling match is a series of moments. Yeah. And build up to those moments. Yeah. And if you execute it just right, and you have enough build up. For it to pay off in the end, it's really the, something fucking the, the awesome. The payoff is where it's at. Um, you know what's cool, man, is I was kind of thinking, like, before we did this episode of how to relate what we do to, you know, common uh, pop culture or just, just a story that everybody can relate to, right? Mm -hmm. So I think about this, and you think about, all right, uh, Ric Flair, one of the best heels of all time, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So Ric Flair is one of the top heels. So basically the story of Ric Flair and his heyday, the entire story of him was he was the top bad guy 
and we're gonna cheer the good guy to get to him, right? Okay. okay. So let's take let's say it's Sting, right? All right. So Sting's your hero, and he's gonna go through, and he's gotta get through Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, and you know. Uh, Ole Anderson or Barry Windham. He's got to get through all those henchmen to get to the bad guy. And then he gets to the bad guy and he's got him and he's on the ropes. And you know that your hero can beat the bad guy. But just by the skin of his teeth, the bad guy gets away. Mm. Doesn't necessarily win, but he gets away. Gets counted out or something, right? right? Disqualification or something. Sure. How many times have you watched uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? A lot. So what's the story of that? Our heroes are trying to get to Shredder. Shredder's here. And they got to beat up Bebop. And they can beat up Rocksteady. And they can get to Krang. But the last fucking second, Shredder gets away. Yeah. And you know they can get him. And here comes season two. Yep. So that we're going to watch next week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because next week, they're going to get him. Right? On the flip side over in the WWF, right? Hulk Hogan is your absolute superhero, man. He is. He's the end-all, be-all. He's the superhero, and there's all sorts of different villains that want to come after him. Andre the Giant, King Kong Bundy, and the one-man gang, and Paul Orndorff. There's all these bad, bad guys that are trying to take out our hero. Mm -hmm. What the fuck does Batman do every week? (laughs) Batman is the good. He's the good. And then the the Joker, man, how's he going to get away from the Joker this time? How's he going to do it? But he does it. How's he going to get away from the Penguin this time? I don't know. There's no way he can get away out of this trap, but he doesn't. But he does. That was the story being told. And and when you think about something like that, and in both cases, I want to watch next week. I want to see the bad guy get his. Or, man, how is my hero going to get out of this mess? Like, that's just the simplest story that can be told in a match. And those were the two most popular money-making, you know, guys almost of all time, to be honest. Well, if you really think about it, like... Wrestling history, in a in a way, is no different than any of that. No different than superheroes. No different than comic books. No different than movies. It it's wrestling has mythology. Oh sure it does. There's wrestling 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 <laughs> mythology. With the mythology, it fucked me up. Sure but, uh, it does, and that's what goes back to the basis of the business is that professional wrestling was just the best amateur wrestlers but these are the professionals these are the best and these matches are god awful to watch it's 90 minutes or whatever of trying to get one guy to just pin one guy but they even knew then is how to build drama yeah is that well i mean people christians will say like oh david versus goliath well David versus like Goliath us, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Well, Hulk Hogan like, ain't no David. Rey no, Mysterio versus I mean, the like, Big Show the, is the David versus is, Goliath because Goliath should win that every time. How can same, David same do it? Same principle, though. But, like, everybody, like, even you can talk to an old person today and be like, uh, most of them, if you brought up WrestleMania three, I think it was, uh-huh. Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan, that, that was an epic match like especially the way they laid it out did it sure. everything like and they told the story because at that point andre the giant was always a good guy and he was always the buddy right of hulk yep. and then it was a fuck you hulk i want to be the guy <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's just such and a he, simple story that can be told because without the story i mean you, you know ufc is very popular and it, the story still is though is which guy's better you can always have that in wrestling but you can build that backstory and if you want to call a soap opera for males that's fine i mean yeah. honestly, that's fine to me because soap operas bring you in with dramatic story of why is this happening and how is it going to be resolved yeah. and and if you're going to look at it that way everything is a soap opera for someone oh i think so I mean, as you mentioned, movies and music and everything, man, there's a build and there's anticipation and then there's a climax, you know, like there there's a reason for all of it, like because it's a story that's simply told that people can get into, yep. which uh, to, you know, to this day still love. Yep. Uh, that was a fun sidebar, man, just kind of talking about. The idea of you know getting it and getting a match and and you're you're always a live performer, mm-hmm. right? You know uh, it, if you're on a movie set and you're trying to deliver a scene, if it's not exactly what they think is going to be perfect, they'll do it again. Yeah. We don't get to do it again. Like we nope. we, we got to make it perfect live every single time. Yep. Uh, just just really is. It's a it is. It's an art form. Well, and it goes right along with what you were saying too about uh, that's when you started realizing more about the business and how. It, and then I brought right. up the the series of moments like right. it's really, it's pretty relevant. Yeah, absolutely, it is, man. And you uh, you start understanding 
how to get that audience to be a part of your match. You're not just performing for them. You're performing to get them to be involved. And it's just really unlike, you know, unlike a lot of any other sort of entertainment. It's not like being an actor or something like that. You don't get that real feel. Maybe a musician might be similar where you can maybe feed off of a live audience. But even then, when they're recording something in the studio, it's a finished product. Yeah. But I mean, most actors, like especially when it comes to like movies and stuff, they don't ever have to do it live. No, in front of anybody musicians probably would understand. Actually, a lot only more. comedians, stand-up comedians, probably the most uh, similar yeah. similar thing we could probably compare it to. That you got to get it right, and you can only get it right once. Because even if you got a terrifically funny joke, if yeah. you fuck it up saying it, you can't just go and say it again. Not it's not going to work, even if it's awesome. It's it not going to work the second time. Everything to come after it. Too. Yeah, well, exactly. Once they start shitting on you, even if you got. Something incredible the rest of the way, man. It's take us a long, hard road to bring them back. Yep, man. Yeah, that's it's not far off. I, I never really even thought of that comparison, but that's I think pretty accurate. Yeah, stand-up comedy is a really good comparison, actually. Yeah, uh, but so you know, at that point we're doing MCW still. We're getting out some good crowds, and like I kind of realized, like I had never taken any like significant time off. Like luckily, knock on, we got some wood. Uh, luckily, I've never been seri- seriously injured, you know, in the ring where I need to take significant time off. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I started getting that feeling again where it was like, I got a show tonight. And, like, I didn't really feel like wrestling. And at that point, I, you know, Dewey was born, my, my oldest son. And I'm like, I don't have to do this. And if it's the same sort of idea, like, with the MCW product was doing really well. And I'm like, if I don't want to be here, somebody else should be here. Mm. You know, it just made sense to me. So I said, I'm like, I just need some time off. Uh, you know, Shasta asked, like, are you done, done? I'm like, I don't want to say I'm done, done. I don't want to be like Terry Funk and retire 30 times. Like, <laughs> But yeah. for now, like, I'm kind of done. And I did. It took about nine months completely off. And then I started wow. getting that itch again where I wanted to wrestle again. And uh, I did one show back at the Firehouse in Maslin. <laughs> not not a real Firehouse, Firehouse restaurant. They had a bar downstairs where we could wrestle. It was pretty cool. Wow. And um, did one show back. And then at that point, I think Shasta was done. He just didn't feel like running anymore. And for me, I just had that one match back. And I just... You know, or if he's done, like, I was wanting to come back to wrestle for him, I didn't really want to go making towns doing the indies, you know? Like, I was, like, was kind of done again. Yeah. Uh, my friend Jeff Meekins uh, runs a benefit show, and he was doing it every year. Well, it wasn't even a benefit show. It was a tribute show because it was, it was free admission. Um, he was running a tribute show for his younger brother who died of a brain aneurysm. He was, like, maybe 20, 21 years old. Real young kid. Oh, that sucks. Watching Monday Night Raw with his dad. like, And then um, Jeff put on the show his brother mike is one of my dear friends um both those guys are my friends their dad like they they were part of the you know they came in around the same time i did all roughly the same age huge wrestling fans so jeff asked if i could do that show for his brother and i said yeah man absolutely like you know i haven't wrestled at that point i think i had another like seven eight months off so i'd wrestled one match in the span of like 16 months Good bit chunk of time off. Well, yeah. I said I'm not in wrestling shape at all. I'll come and wrestle. He's like, Well, I want to run the main event with you. And I was like, All right, man. Like, you know what? Like, I've, I've experienced enough where I'm like, I could probably put together a 50 minute match, even being in poor shape, without wrestling forever. Tell a good story, and then you know we'll be all right. So I said, Yeah, okay, we can we can do that. We can figure it out. Well, when Jeff was running these shows, he didn't really give any sort of guidelines to any of the matches. Like, usually on a well put together show. Me and you were the first match. You got eight minutes. You know, get in there, get it hot. Second match, you got ten. Third is maybe a you know before intermission. Okay, you guys can go fifteen. But then the next match, eight. You know, like you know, it's, it's kind of structured. Some sort of outline of what's going right. on. Right. Jeff didn't do that to anybody. Everybody was wrestling for free for him, so it was kind of a uh, go out there and wrestle, have fun. So the first match were a couple guys that weren't very good, and they went well over fifteen minutes. Oh wow! In the first match, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I hope I can get a fifteen minute main event, right? Yeah. So How these, do you follow these that? two bums go fifteen plus. And I said, shit, I'm wow. going to have to at least go 20. And then another match later, I think, went 20 minutes. It's like, i got to go like 25, the main event. So I told Jeff, I was like, all right, here's what we're going to do. Like, we'll tell this story. We'll keep it slow. We'll try to build, build, build to the finish where it's hot. And hopefully they get into it. The match was fucking awesome. And yeah. I was dead. And I mean, I was dead. We went about 25 minutes. I was dead. But I'm like, I got to wrestle. I like I gotta fucking do it. I gotta get back. Um, 
so Mike Meekins and why well, Mike and Jeff, they were both wrestling at a group uh, that I'm still with right now called Mid Ohio Wrestling, uh, that I absolutely love working for. And I, you know, knew of the group. I, I don't think I, I seen like one show when I was first starting. But I go up to visit a show. I actually took Dewey up, and I took um, my buddy Evan, Evan Wiley. We went up to a show. We watched in the crowd. We watched uh, M Dog Matt Cross wrestle. You know, it was he was a notable name. But I seen Mike and Jeff on the show, and I seen uh, my buddy Patrick Hayes on the show that you know wrestled MCW. So some guys that I knew. So we go and watch the show, and uh, I talked to Mike, and I was like, "Is it cool if I come back?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course." So I go and I met Dave Stafford, who's the promoter out there, and like, this is the thing, man. At that point, I had had nearly ten years. I think call it eight or nine in, and I didn't know how good or known I was. So I went up to the promoter. I was like, "Hey, I'm, my name's Jared. You know, I wrestle as Wilbur Whitlock. It's a pleasure to meet you. Really enjoyed your show. Like, you know, if you have a spot." And he's like, "Dude, I know who you are." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." Like, it made me feel good. Nice. <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, you want to come in, man? Yeah, whenever you're ready." So I was like, "All right." So I'm gonna try to get back into the the flow here. And again, I don't want to sit here and tell you like oh like I'm, I'm such a great wrestler or anything like that like and not at all but like i didn't know that i was any good at all until i started wrestling with a whole bunch of different guys because i'd really been in that mcw bubble where i knew you know, i was over with those guys was over with that crowd i'd have good matches with the guys i'd have good matches with but like i didn't know if i was really any good to the outside wrestling world until i started wrestling with mid-ohio and i just wrestled guys that i had met that night and like okay what do you want to do what do you want to do and put together a match and go out there and have a great match wow. and uh i really feel like my second half of my wrestling career changed when i wrestled the aforementioned uh patrick hayes we were he was the inner it was the tri-county champion which is you know the intercontinental champion basically the secondary title okay he was a tri-county champion he was the heel i was a baby face they said uh hey you guys are going to wrestle at the next show and i'm thinking like okay like i know hayes was a really 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 good worker and i'm like i'm excited to work with him. that should be cool I think like the night before we had that show, Dave messaged me and said, Hey, I'm going to put you guys on in the main event, which, uh, M dog, Matt cross was in the heavyweight title match at night, put you guys in the main event. You're over. I'm like, Oh shit. Like I'm back in it. Oh, nice. So Hayes was awesome. Nice. He's, you know, say like, man, like this is your night. You're getting, you're getting the belt. Like, let's, what do, what do you want to do? And we kind of came up with a couple good ideas and like, just kind of tell a story out there where he, if you ever see Hayes wrestle, he throws the meanest chop out on the Indies today. I'll put his against anybody. Oh, I believe you. So I was feeling froggy, and I'm like, hey, man, like, you know, during your heat, anything you do, fucking light me up with a chop. After everything, you pull me up to my feet, hit me with a chop. You body slam me, you go to the next spot, hit me with a chop. Hit like 20, 25 chops in the middle Jesus. of this match. And I said, when I get my comeback, I'm going to get them all back. So I chopped them all at once, like, 25 times in a row. Right? Oh, wow. And I, I told him, too. I was like, if the crowd gets into it after the first five, I'm going to keep going. If not, you know, we'll take it easy. No, they were into it. They were excited as fuck to see me chop the shit out of them. We, I bet. We, you know, I've had a couple big-time moments, you know, at that point in my career, you know, some of the Civic Center shows, but, like, sometimes where you just know you have the crowd, right? Sometimes they're into it and they're cheering and you have a great match and they love it. There's only a handful of times where you fucking got them, and on yeah. this night we fucking had them, and we knew it. Like the palm in your you hands. could you could feel the anticipation in between every move for what we were going to do next, like with the last like three four minutes of our match. So we knew we had them, and we finished our match. I won the match. The crowd went nuts, uh, and we knew we were kind of made men after that. Like I knew, like okay, like I'm back. This dude's amazing we got him and like now i got my confidence about yeah now i was like so i was so excited to work with everybody i had in front of me and i wanted to start making more towns at that point because i was like i better than i thought i ever was to be honest and i fucking got it i understood why that match was great and i wanted to replicate that as much as i could going forward and it's still something to this day man that i do if i have an opportunity to come to a different promotion or a different town, wrestle in front of a different crowd. I look forward to it and love it. And I, I now at this point have over 15 years involved in wrestling, have had, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of matches. I don't care if I'm out there in the second match of the card, putting over a kid that's been in there for a year because I want to make that story make sense. I'm a 15 year guy and I'm a fucking prick and I'm going to make this first year <laughs> guy look really cool tonight. I like being able to tell that story and have it. It makes sense. 
and it's still just something I look forward to today. I don't doubt that a bit, sir. And uh, Jeff Hughes, Jeff Lights Out Hughes, one of the soon-to-be best heels in the MMA game, uh, even said you're one of the best heels in the indie wrestling <laughs> game. So, Jeff, possibly Jeff, of all time. Jeff so. Hughes is a huge fan of my heel work. I actually get that almost everywhere I go. I personally enjoy being a babyface. I, I don't know, and it's not even like the well, yeah, you like when people like you more than they hate you. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. Like, I like being a heel. I like if I can get it's, something to either make them cheer for the babyface like crazy or boo me like crazy. It's like ah, I got you. Like I did, you did exactly what I wanted you to do. I like wrestling as a baby face more, though. Really? Yeah, I really do. And now, here's like a... Well, it's, not it's a, nice to be loved, I'm sure, or liked. I got a comparison, and it's going to make me really sound like an asshole because I'm not comparing myself to Ric Flair in any way. But Ric Flair, is, everybody knows him as a heel, right? Like, you I mean, yeah. he, he's the nature boy, style and profile, and, he, you know, so you know him as. But, like, man, I really feel like his best matches are as a baby face. I like him against, like, Terry Funk, like, where, or against Vader, uh, where, like, he's got such great fire, like, yeah. wrestling-wise. Like, you know, he's not necessarily – we cut the same promo – Instead of the same reaction, but he wrestled, he was always doing dirty tricks and really slowing him down and grinding him down. I thought he was so good as a babyface wrestler because you get behind him, and every time he, he throws those chops up, the crowd goes nuts, you know? He he is. There's no doubt that he is. I mean, he's just got it. So, and he, he can go either way, just like Stone Cold. He could be, he was a heel that was a babyface. Oh, yeah, and that's that's usually your best characters is if you don't really change up what you're doing, you just change up. The matches and why they you just change the matches. Stone Cold Steve Austin was a heel giving the middle finger and da da da, da and all <laughs> and all that and beating up his bosses. That was a heel Stone Cold that did it. Yeah. So now yeah. all of a sudden, don't change any of that. You don't change your character. You change your morals. Yeah. Well, who you do your shit to? Yeah. <laughs> it really, it is. It's just you don't fuck with the baby faces. You, exactly. You fuck with exactly. the heels. Yeah, and I try to now. Now my thing is though is I do. I try to amplify my character. One way, you know, base and treble, basically. Like, if I'm the baby face, I'm still coming out there, but I'm a little bit more, like, scrappy. I'm going to fight you to the end, and I want you to cheer for me. As a heel, I'm much more of a shithead, but I'm still scrappy, and I want to fight you to the end. Because mm. uh, I knew that's what my character had to be. Like, I'm not the biggest, and I can't really... I'm not much of a high flyer. But, damn, you could take a beat. I'm technically sound. Mm. Like, I know I mean, I, I know where to be at all times. But, yeah, like, that's kind of the... I never minded taking a bump. I, I love bumping... For you know, as a heel for the baby faces, if if especially if I'm fighting a big guy, if you throw one punch to me, I'm literally like flying across the ring like I got shot out of a cannon. Like I I like making them look good. If I'm a baby face wrestling the heel big guy, it's the same thing, but instead of make it comical, it's gonna I'm gonna make it look like he fucking killed me. Like Legit. stay down a little longer. Yeah, if I'm yeah. the heel, I'll fly across the ring, and get back up like a big stupid monkey, and come <laughs> back into you and take take another one. But as a baby face, no, I'm gonna stay down. And I'm gonna make it look like you killed you're me. Sell it. You're gonna look like but the you underdog. Could, you could take the same bump, and it's just the story you're telling going you're telling going forward. Still learn stuff to this day, man. Um, I got a fun story wrestling, uh, which coming up plug wise, July 27th, Dropkick Diabetes 4. We are going to be at the Guilford Lake Grill. Uh, one of my favorite shows of the year. Again, we, we wrestle that show. We do it all to donate to the Akron uh, Children's General Hospital nice. for the Diabetes Foundation there. And we, we've raised thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, one of my favorite shows that I do every year. So please check that out. Uh, get out there, people. But uh, one of my favorite stories from wrestling was Dropkick Diabetes 2. It was a couple years ago. Uh, wrestled a six-man tag. Me and the aforementioned Meekins boys, Jeff and Mike, we were a ta- six-man tag against Max Alexander, who uh, helps put together the show. And then it was his tag team partners, Rhino and Tommy Dreamer. Nice. Right? Nice. And and there's, you know, I've wrestled some other names and stuff like that. And, and you know, some cool stories. But this one was, like, the one, like, I was telling Josh and Jeff, like – we were we were wrestling in the basement doing ECW matches, being Tommy Dreamer and Rhino. Like you know, yeah, how I bet. I don't fucking that. cool is that, right? And there you are wrestling them. Here we are wrestling them, and like kind of going over stuff with Tommy Dreamer. Like again, now here's the thing: like I have you know twelve, thirteen years in the business at this point. I'm confident that I know what I'm doing. Mm. Obviously, Tommy Dreamer knows so much more, right? You know, yeah, more time and just yeah, I'm in, in the ECW and the WWF and on TV, like, you know, he absolutely knows way more than I do. 
But I felt really confident kind of talking to him about what we were going to do with the match. And then he basically kind of told me, like, just stick with me out there because it was going to break down six-man tag and stuff. So I'm just paired off with Tommy Dreamer, and we're on the floor doing, you know, an ECW-style brawl. And uh, he just said, just keep feeding Timmy. So that basically means everything I do, I'm not fighting back on him. I'm just feeding to him and, and, you know, getting the crowd behind him. Gotcha. So we're doing a good old school ECW crowd brawl. He's taking me to the chairs and, you know, ramming me into the chairs and we're having fun. And uh, I see him grab a fan's pop. (laughs) And I'm just selling. I hear him go, close your eyes. So come at him close my eyes spits a giant mist of pop and i'm selling like a you know, big stupid monkey wow, that's so cool and i was like and i'm and it's just the most over dramatic like thing in the world like i'm completely 180 from him 10 feet away throwing big phantom punches like thinking he's there and i come feeding back into him and i see him crack a smile and he goes fucking perfect <laughs> he drills me with a punch <laughs> take a big bump i and, like it and you know just so much fun like doing that sort of stuff where you knew that you did something right you know, now in the same time, I was out there on the floor with Rhino. He gave me a shot to the gut with, I think, maybe like a cookie sheet. And I fed my back to him for him to hit me. And he does. He gets me in the back. He said, hey, when you're feeding up with your gut, you know, hunched over like that, look up so the crowd can see you. Look up so they see your eyes and they know that you're hurt and they know that you're, you know, you're scared ah. and something else is coming. And I was like, getting 12, 13 years in, I'm like, ah, man, the eye contact. Like, I can go out and have a match and hit every single move perfect, but if my eye contact with the crowd isn't right like i know it now Dude, tell a story with your face with your eyes you do you tell facial expressions uh that's awesome little shit like uh man if i you know you always see times where they'll shoot somebody in the ropes and they'll duck the clothesline duck the back elbow and then maybe get hit well you know like if i do that and i'm throwing one and i'm throwing two and you're ducking it i get, don't get pissed i'll say god damn it you know and i'll turn around and boom then you hit yeah. me like you should be frustrated in the middle of the match. Like you're trying to beat the guy and the guy's outsmarting you. You should be frustrated and you sell that with your actions, with your facials, you know? Yeah. Use it, use it as fuel. So much stuff that goes into it that you got to hit the moves perfect to protect yourself and your opponent, if anything else, but to build that story. But you also, I mean, it's acting. Yeah. Convey your emotions with your body language and your facial expressions of when you're in there. If you're, happy sad frustrated mad like you sell that with your emotions in the ring you're, you're essentially a a stuntman in front and center yeah you are acting as well. and you're acting as well and uh for me like my when i wrestle as a heel i love kurt hennig more than anybody mr perfect he was the best here tully blanchard was also another great one my idea as a heel I want to be, if I'm in control, if I got you down, I am the toughest motherfucker on the planet at Uh that moment, right? Because I got you down. I got you where I want you. I'm an asshole. I'm the baddest motherfucker out there. As soon as you hit me back, I am the most chicken shit motherfucker (laughs) on the planet. (laughs) I do not want to get hit again. That's a heel to the floor. Yeah, I do not want to get hit again. I hate what's happening right now. I don't want to be here. Like, And that's... Those are both two different guys that you want to see get his ass kicked. Yep. The right? bully the bully that talks so much tough shit and then as soon and as they get punched, gets they're his crying and, like and, a baby. And they, you want the crowd wants you to get yours a little Classic. bit more. And Classic. You just try your best to not give it to them. And when you do get it, they love it even more. Oh yeah. So many small stories you can tell in a match that the crowd doesn't even realize is happening. Unless we sit there and break it down for them, which we will, you know, we're not going to do. I can tell you examples of just in in broad, but I won't ever sit here and tell you of like, oh, did you like this match? Like, I love this match. What what were you guys thinking? Yeah, that's 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 just one peek behind the curtain. I don't really want to give. I don't want to exactly tell you how we got you to react this way because you know by what we did. No, even though it's there, makes perfect sense. You you don't want to. You don't want to be predictable either. No, you don't want to be predictable, and you want to. You don't want to be predictable with your matches because you know, and that happens a lot when you watch on TV. I mean, John Cena's, John Cena's a good worker by all accounts. You know, what I mean, he gets over, gets reactions, but yeah. you know, nowadays when they're literally on TV every week, you do you get tired of the same shtick. Rey Mysterio is one of the most incredible athletes of all time. But you almost got tired of his shtick because even though he did incredible shit, he did it every week. Yeah. RVD did incredible shit every week. No, that's you true. see it. And it's tough when you have that much exposure. So we're on a much smaller scale, but we know we have roughly the same 
100 to 150 people that want to come to every show. They just, they're loyal. You don't want to, if you have a cool counter to one of your moves, you don't want to do it two shows in a row because no. then it's just part of your stick. No, that, Change but a, it up. A counter can be foreseen after a while exactly. and it's not so much a counter. Uh, yeah, anymore. exactly. Counter this, counter. He's going to do this because this is going to happen. Like, no, like, you know, you want to keep it fresh. Which, oh, he fell for that again? What a dummy. There you go. But at the same time, if something works, you revisit it and maybe tinker to it. Yeah. You know, something like Keep that. Keep them on their toes. Right, right. If if I have a cool counter in match one, uh, everyone remembers that. Well, if I go for the cool counter in match two, but you know it's coming, and you hit me with something else, well, now it actually tells that story really well. But also you had something cool yeah. on top of something cool. It's actually cool. a story, like a mechanic of storytelling, if you really. The moves themselves, mm-hmm. they can evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Which, uh, again, that's part of the, you know, every time you're in the ring, it's a blank canvas. It's part of creating your picture. And sometimes your picture was really good the last time, but you just want to make little changes and intricacies to your picture the second time and make it better, make it different. Yeah. That's what we do every time a, out there. A true artist's work is never done. And uh, I'm not much of an art guy in any other form. <laughs> but, Don't get it, but I, I, I like to think at least I get this one. But, but you, you paint beautiful portraits on that canvas. Oh, sir. you're a sweetheart. You are. Uh, well, I guess that's probably a good point to end. Or, sir. I think so, man. And, you know, I, I think we could probably maybe fill up a podcast with some more just story stories. Yeah, I was just about to say maybe we'll have a part two here. I, I, th- I think so. I got tons and tons of fun stories on the road, fun stories in the ring backstage. I don't mind sharing some of those for our listeners. Uh, nice. But for today, man, I thought that was kind of cool, kind of tell my own personal story and just, man, what what wrestling really does mean to me and what what I think we can convey. And uh, by all accounts, if you, you see me at an indie show near you, uh, I'd love to see you. Come check us out. But if you see one that I'm not on, go check out your local independent shows. Yeah. Do a lot of cool shit out there, man. Guys really busting their ass trying to get noticed and honestly i got a who's who list of names of guys that i've been on shows with just in this area that are making a big today so your your future stars tomorrow are probably at your local independent show today you're right and if you can't just type in the name wilbur whitlock or mid ohio wrestling into youtube or any i'm, search I'm on the youtube quite a bit and, uh, get a get an idea maybe maybe you'll be inspired to make a trip somewhere and uh, I do. I hope for all of our listeners that uh, just want to know a little bit more about the independent scene, about getting involved, and about just you know, kind of our mindset, putting on a great match, great show. I hope this uh, opened up some eyes today. For sure. For sure. All right. Tell them all the stuff they need to do where they can listen to us. Go to iTunes and Stitchers to listen to all the audio podcasts. If you're listening to this on an audio podcast, we do this as a video podcast too at YouTube dot com slash mad archer media go ahead and subscribe click the little bell thing and it'll let you know when uh new stuff comes out um we got t-shirts available t-shirts available at mad archer dot com go ahead and pick some of those up uh yeah facebook facebook.com slash mad archer media give us a like some shares on there likes uh, shares subscriptions helps us a ton tell yeah. your friends they don't listen to it. They don't listen to it, but still subscribe. It'll, it'll help our cause and uh, make us a little more noticeable for people who are, are looking for a, a really cool wrestling podcast. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, with that said. Uh, Me and Mark Thomas, handsome Jared Griffiths. <laughs> Until it. then, bye, Internet. <laughs>